0: Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today.
1: It's open enrollment season for healthcare, and the process is as muddled and confusing as ever. Changes to the Affordable Care Act and shifting ideas about the future of healthcare can make the decisions tough. We're going to spend the hour today talking about what options you have And answer your questions about it all. That's next on Detroit Today, right after the news from NPR. Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. I hope everyone out there is taking it very easy and very slow today as we try to dig out from an unexpected, very large snowstorm. Of course, for our kids, this is fun, meaning that they don't have to go to school and can go outside and... Have fun in the snow, but for us, it is always about caution. So slow down, take your time, and get to where you're going safely. It's open enrollment season for healthcare in this country. So, since November 1st and until December 15th, millions of Americans are trying to make decisions around their healthcare plans and their needs for the coming year. And as always, the process can be full of questions and confusion. We want to spend the hour today talking about healthcare and the choices that you are making right now. And we want to answer the questions that you have. Are you making decisions about plans from the exchange? Are you making decisions about employer-provided health care? Are you making decisions about accounts that you could have that would help pay for services, medical services that you and your family might need? And are things getting better or worse for you in that arena? Are you seeing benefits pulled back by your employer? Are you seeing things cost more with deductibles and other charges that maybe you didn't see before? We also want to know if you are someone who supports the changes that we're still adapting to under the Affordable Care Act. Is that something that's made health care better for you and your family, or is it something that you think is making things worse? And what do you make of the discussion of yet another radical remake of our health care system in this country? Several candidates on the Democratic side for next year's presidential contest, say they would really upend health care in this country in order to get everybody covered. This idea of Medicare for all or similar plans. As always, the number on the phones here is 313 577 1019. That's 313 577 1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Call and tell us what your experience is during open enrollment for healthcare. And joining us now to talk about what's going on with healthcare in this country is Julie Ravner. She is the chief Washington correspondent for Kaiser Health. Julie, welcome back to Thank Detroit for, today.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Yes. Um, so, overall, what's your perception of the ACA model? Does it seem like people are getting more comfortable with the changes each year, or is it becoming more distressing and more confusing?
2: Well, I think things have changed pretty much every year. Uh, This is now the sixth open enrollment. Uh, You know, we had a couple under President Obama, and now we've had several under President Trump. And every year, something important about it has changed. Last year was probably the biggest change. That was when uh, the Requirement for most people to have insurance or pay a tax penalty was eliminated. So that was actually in effect in 2019. Uh, A lot of people, a lot of analysts thought that people would just not buy health insurance if they didn't have to, and it turned out that wasn't really the case. What was probably driving a lot of people to buy health insurance, and we're talking about the individual market, where people who buy their own health insurance without help from an employer, uh, it's expensive because you're not getting that employer contribution. Um, So the subsidies that were included in the Affordable Care Act, which are one of the things that do still, uh, are still there uh, now, even with all the other changes, uh, seems to be what's driving a lot of people to get insurance. So in 2019, rather than seeing an enormous drop uh, in the number of people who purchased insurance through the Affordable Care Act, we saw a small drop. And this year, interestingly, what we're seeing nationwide and in Michigan is uh, slightly lower premiums uh, and slightly more players, a little bit more choice of insurers. So the market itself seems to be stabilizing somewhat. Whether people are more or less confused, that's not so clear.
1: Hmm. The changes that are taking place each year, as you point out, under the ACA, those are those are many of them are unplanned, and many of them are about political debates about how to implement it or whether to implement pieces of it. Are we giving the ACA enough chance to work, though, even as we keep tweaking it uh, as it as it unfolds? In other words, should lawmakers just kind of sit back and let the law take root and do the things that it was intended to do uh, before we start tinkering with it on the edges the way we are?
2: well lawmakers have been trying to do you know what i call mid course corrections um and there was almost a bipartisan bill that got through in 2018 that would have fixed some of the issues that were uh, that were sort of plaguing uh the the program things uh called something called reinsurance where the most expensive people would be paid for by a separate pool so that could help bring down some premiums and it got hung up as the law almost got hung up when when it was being born in 2010 over abortion and that law ended up not doing anything what the Trump administration has been doing is trying to sort of make it not work that's been they haven't been quiet about that they've stripped almost all of the money for assistance uh, for people to to help other people sign up and outreach to remind people that, yes, it is open enrollment from November 1st to December 15th. Um, The president also canceled some controversial uh, subsidy payments from the federal government, although those have been sort of made up in a complicated way that turns out to sort of shake up the market a little bit, Um, probably in a good way. It means that people who get subsidies will actually get a little bit bigger subsidy than intended. But it also means that people who have to buy their insurance without a subsidy, uh, if they make more than four times the poverty level, those people are paying much more. So the market has been shifted around. Uh, also, the Trump administration is offering different types of policies, allowing those to be offered, which tends to confuse people more. Sometimes Now they can suddenly go out, buy policies that are cheaper but may not offer very much. And little plug, uh, Kaiser Health News and, and NPR do a, a monthly bill of the month uh, about someone who has an outrageous medical bill. And the current bill of the month is about a person who bought insurance that she didn't realize didn't cover some of the things she ended up needing. That's now available thanks to changes that the Trump administration made.
1: Hmm. Um, I, I want to talk about people who have employer-sponsored health care, because as you point out, we're mostly talking about people who are out on the exchange, out on the market, trying to find coverage. But those of us who have employers who pay for at least part of our health care coverage have seen some changes, too. And those changes, I think, are driven by the increased number of people who are being covered and subsidized outside the employer healthcare market, so for instance, lots of people are seeing their deductibles go up under employer-sponsored healthcare, and that's because their employer has renegotiated their uh, their their health coverage uh, with with the provider because of increased costs. For instance, uh, people are seeing things that used to be covered not be covered. So so is it fair to say that everybody really is being affected by the changes brought about by the ACA, whether you're someone who's out on the marketplace or somebody who has insurance the old-fashioned way?
2: Actually, I think it's probably the reverse. When there are more people covered, there's less cost shifting to, mm-hmm. to help providers uh, pay for uh, the the people who come in and can't pay. And we'll get to that in a second. But the people who have no insurance. So the more people who are insured, the less pressure there is on employer provided insurance. What we're seeing in the employer provided insurance space has nothing really to do with the Affordable Care Act. It mm-hmm. has to do with just increasing uh, health prices and increasing increasing prices of hospital care and doctor care and ancillary care and all of the things that that employer provided health insurance covers. And employers who sort of reached the breaking point of what they can afford to pay have, rather than than eliminate health insurance altogether, have started to do things, as you said, like raise deductibles. That was a, in the the early 2000s, there was a, a sort of line of thinking that, well, if people had to pay more of their own health bills, they'd have more, quote unquote, skin in the game and they would be better shoppers. Well, it turns out it's really hard to shop for health care. But now we see a growing number of people with these large deductibles that they can't pay. They're often in the thousands of dollars and people get sick and they go to the emergency room or their kid breaks a leg and they end up with you know these multi-thousand dollar bills, even though they have insurance and they may have good employer provided insurance. But now they have a $4,000 bill from the hospital that they cannot possibly afford to pay. And what's happening? Hospitals are taking these people to court and garnishing their wages. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a big issue, but I don't think what's going on in the employer space is directly attributable to any of the changes that the Affordable Care Act made. In <laughs> fact, the Affordable Care Act, in some ways, made it uh, put a little bit of downward pressure on costs of employer insurance um, by limiting how much insurers can make in profits and overhead. Mm. So, so in
1: other words, you're saying that if we didn't have the ACA and this marketplace to get more people ensured that the price increases that people with employer-sponsored health care are experiencing might be worse. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Wow, wow. Uh, This is uh, Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Julie Rovner. She's the chief Washington correspondent for Kaiser Health News. We're talking about Open enrollment for healthcare, which is happening since November 1st and until December 15th, when millions of Americans are trying to make decisions about what their healthcare plans will look like for the next year. This is open enrollment for the Affordable Care Act. We want to hear from you this hour uh, about your experience with this. Do you have a question about your existing? coverage? Are you looking at a plan, wondering if it's the right one for your health needs and your budget and for your family? Do you have opinions on the healthcare system in this country? Has it hurt or helped you in some way? Call and tell us and give us an idea of what you think of the political debate about maybe making uh, even further changes to our healthcare system. We had the big debate uh, after President Obama was elected about The Affordable Care Act that got passed. It's now being implemented. But Democrats who are seeking the presidency next year say we need yet another big reform, this idea of Medicare for All, which they say will cover everybody and lower prices. Uh, What do you think about that? Do you think that we're due for another big change to health care? As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we'll work you into the conversation, um, uh, Julie. I want to talk some about these political debates about uh, about other big changes to to, to healthcare. care. Uh, does that does I guess does does that have a bearing on the way that people are thinking about health care now, the decisions that they're making during open enrollment, and what would happen, I guess, if we had another big change to healthcare in this country in such a short period of time. Would that, would that make things better for people who are struggling to figure out what choices they need to make on the market right now?
2: Well, of course, everybody's health care situation is different. That's one of the things that's so hard about changing the system, even when the Affordable Care Act, which was not that big a change in a lot of ways, it mostly impacted, as we, as I said at the top, the individual market, people who buy their own health insurance. That's about 5% of the population. I mean, we spent an enormous amount of time and effort talking about a relatively small group. But even within that relatively small group, the people who found themselves dislocated, who suddenly didn't realize they were buying insurance that didn't cover very much and were to buy insurance that did cover a lot and was a lot more expensive, you know, people kind of flipped out. So we've seen, you know, even small changes. It's You're going to create losers and the losers are going to complain. And that's sort of the, you know, that's happened in policy in general. I think what's important to remember, I mean, both about open enrollment now, because it's also, it's open enrollment for the Affordable Care Act. It's also open enrollment for Medicare, people mm-hmm. who have Medicare and want to have a private Medicare plan and want to change it or have a Medicare prescription drug plan and want to change it. And it's also open enrollment for a lot of people with employer-provided insurance. And that's, you know, not an accident. Most insurance runs on a calendar year basis, January 1st to January 1st. So most open enrollments in general are in the fall when you have time, you know, a couple of weeks at a minimum um, and sometimes a month or two to sort of look over what you have and what you think your needs might be for the next year and what would be best for you. And most people have some sort of open enrollment or some sort of choice uh, uh, about the health plan. I think what the candidates are talking about is a way to patch some of the holes that we still have in the healthcare system. There's still 28 or million people or so who don't have insurance. As I mentioned, there's a lot of people with employer-provided insurance who still can't afford care. There's a lot of people w- who are buying their own insurance who find it, pre- you know, prohibitively expensive. Um, so there are definitely a lot of things in the, the and obviously costs continue to go up with nothing to really hold them down. So there are a lot of problems, with the candidates are debating is how best to solve them, and in some cases, how fast to solve them. But I think no matter what happens, it's it's unlikely even, you know, the Elizabeth Warrens and Bernie Sanders, who are pushing this, you know, complete overhaul of the healthcare system and a Medicare for all, it would... It would not happen right away, mm-hmm. and it would require, obviously, 60 votes in the Senate, 60 Democratic votes in the Senate, which I will point out there were when the Affordable Care Act passed. And even then, it was difficult to get the Affordable Care Act through. So I think people people who are worried about the possibility of a big change shouldn't worry because the possibility of a big change, no matter what happens, is still pretty small.
1: Hmm. Uh, so let's talk about warnings, about plans that seem too good to be true. In other words, things that seem like they are cheap or very affordable, but actually don't provide the kind of coverage that that people are seeking. What's an example of what one of those plans might look like?
2: Well, th- there are a lot of what you, what were called short-term plans, and these were plans that were intended to sort of tide people over. Maybe they were between jobs for a couple of months, or college student graduating was going to get a job, but but didn't didn't have one yet. They were those kinds of plans. They tend to be fairly minimal, catastrophic. Type plans, you know, if you get run over by a bus, it would pay some of your hospital expenses, basically. But they're not comprehensive health insurance. They don't generally cover things like maternity care or mental health care or sometimes prescription drugs. Um, And they're inexpensive because they don't cover a lot of things. And the the Obama administration tried to sort of phase them out. Uh, the Trump administration has decided to allow them to be sold more broadly, and we are seeing them sold more broadly. And in some cases, people are sort of mistakenly buying them, thinking they're comprehensive insurance, because, of course, they are a lot cheaper. But then what happens is, you know, what happened to our our Bill of the Month patient this month who bought a plan that didn't include uh, mental health coverage, and then she had, you know, a, a, a mental health problem and ended up in an inpatient for several weeks and now has, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of bills that she's responsible for because even though she had insurance, her insurance didn't cover it.
1: Hmm. And where should people go to find information about how to choose these plans in a way that that not only makes sense for them, but makes sense for what they're actually looking for?
2: Well, if you're buying your own insurance uh, and you're on the exchanges, there is still a place you can go. It's right on the website, the healthcare.gov website that says, you know, where you can find help. It will be harder to find help because, as I mentioned, the Trump administration has has dramatically cut the budget for people who can help people figure out what the right plan is for them. But it is still there. Uh, It's important to start early if you think you're going to need help choosing a plan because it may be hard to get an appointment or even if you have to walk in you may have to to wait a while there are also insurance brokers uh, who can help with this sort of thing um, they're they're out there and actually I think you can also find some of them on the healthcare.gov website um, if you have employer provided insurance you should have someone in your HR department who can help you sort of wade through the complications of some of these plans. Um, similarly, on Medicare, there are if you're on Medicare, there are something called Area Agencies on Aging and Senior Centers, where there's a lot of help for Medicare beneficiaries um, who are trying to figure out what, what the insurance is best for them. So depending on the kind of insurance you have, where you go for help might be different, but there is some help available for everybody. Hmm.
1: Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our talk with Julie Rovner about what some of the proposed plans to overhaul the current healthcare system are. And we're going to continue to talk about open enrollment. Give us a call. Tell us what your experience is trying to choose healthcare plans for next year. If you are on the exchange, you're on the marketplace and trying to make choices, call and tell us what those choices look like. Are they better than what you've seen before? Are they worse? Are they more confusing or are they clear? 313 is the number on the phones. We'll have more conversation and your calls next on Detroit Today. We'll be right back. today on 1019 WVET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. My guest is Julie Ravner. She is the Chief Washington Correspondent for Kaiser Health News. We're talking about open enrollment for healthcare, which is going on right now, both for people who are on the ACA exchanges picking plans for their families uh, and people who are have uh, employer-sponsored health care. It's open enrollment for lots of us as well. Uh, we're talking about some of the changes that are unfolding, partially because of the ACA, partially because of increasing costs in health care that are affecting private plans and plans that uh, your employer uh, might provide for you. We want to hear from you. Uh, give us a call and tell us what experience you're having this year with health care. What do you thinking about the choices that are in front of you on the ACA exchange, the marketplace, uh, do you want this to be really different in this country? Are you in support of the idea of a program like Medicare for All, which is something that Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders say they would want to do if they were elected president next year? Are you in favor of another major overhaul of health care in this country, just a few years, really, after We adopted the ACA. Uh, Also, give us a call and tell us if you think things are going better for you, if the ACA has been a major help. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's start with uh, Anka in Detroit. Anka, welcome to the show. Hey good
3: morning. Um, I have a question or a comment in regards to medical transportation. Um, it's, it, the ACA is been great and this whole thing we have uh, medical transportation especially for those of us on Medicaid is a wonderful thing in theory but uh, I've participated not only as a subscriber but also as a driver and it's like the Wild West It's all over the place it's terrible uh, people don't get to their appointments um, they don't get picked up after the appointments. Basically the rule of thumb was, hey, drop them off, because that's how we get paid. But if we pick them up, hey, that's fine. So that needs to be addressed. Mm. I'm also interested in discussing you know, our uh, prescriptions and our pharmacy and how we're dealing with that. As a trans woman, um, I am always getting prior authorization for every, almost everything that I do that has to do with my healthcare, mm. uh, any of my estrogen, any of my progesterone, Uh, Anything related, and uh, you know, this is this is a major problem that's not doesn't seem to be being addressed. I don't know if it's because what do we care about the people that are poor, but you know, uh, perhaps your guest would like to speak to that. Sure,
1: sure, Anka, I really appreciate the call and the questions, Julie Rovner. Let's take this Medicaid uh, medical transportation question, which I'm not sure most people are familiar with is not something I know a whole lot about. Uh, Anka seems to think that's not working very well.
2: Well, and that, and this is an issue in a lot of states. It's up to the states um, about how they provide transportation for, you know, most people. In order to be on Medicaid, you have to have a low income. And many of the people on Medicaid also have some kind of a disability. Many of them can't drive. Uh, and so the only way they can basically get to medical appointments is if someone takes them. And obviously, they don't have a lot of money for a, a taxi or sometimes even a bus or, or an Uber. So Medicaid provides that transportation. Um, that's sort of an, an intrastate issue or it may even be, you know, a county issue about how how well that program works and how people get there. Although there are a number of states that I've seen that are trying to get rid of medical transportation for Medicaid recipients, which is another a whole nother issue. And and some states have actually been uh contracting with Uber and Lyft to take patients to their medical appointments. So this is, you know, the, the healthcare industry is is Pushing towards twenty percent of what we spend as a nation uh, in the United States, and so there are lots of different places that you wouldn't think would be part of the healthcare system, but transportation for people on Medicaid is one of them.
1: Hmm. And and Anka also asked about prior authorization for prescription medications. Is that something that we're seeing a change in because of the ACA or just a change because of the way that uh, healthcare is changing?
2: In the yeah, that's, it's more the latter. That's prior authorization for drugs. All we, we have things, there are tiers of drugs that are covered. And this is another problem for people. that we are, the, the good news is that there are a lot more drugs to treat a lot more things than there used to be. The bad news is that most of them are too expensive for most people to afford. Um, and when I'm saying too expensive, I'm not talking about hundreds of dollars or even thousands of dollars. I'm talking about tens of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars. So one of the ways that insurers try to make sure that people aren't getting drugs that they don't absolutely need is imposing sort of things like prior authorization. You have to get your doctor to, to request it specially, or you have to try and fail first on a cheaper drug. Um, there are there are lots of ways that uh, that. Payers for healthcare are trying to prevent people from accessing the, the some of the, the newest, most expensive drugs. It also in some ways, some cases, is better for the patient. Some of this is is just a, you know, they don't want drug companies to sort of to be pushing out drugs that people might not need but they might see ads for on TV. Mm-hmm. So it's this tug of war between the people who are paying for healthcare and the people who are creating these drugs. And Congress is actually working on some drug price issues right now. They're having trouble because it's always been difficult for Congress to to do things about prices in healthcare, particularly about drug prices, because the drug industry has a lot of clout in Washington. And they do, you know, they in fairness, they will say, if you don't let us charge what we want, we won't be able to invent all these new great drugs that you want. Mm-hmm. So they kind of have policymakers over a barrel and so the fights continue and they were continuing right now.
1: Mm. Uh, again, Anka, I really appreciate the call, and the questions. Let's go to Daniel in Detroit. Daniel, what's on your mind?
4: Well, um, I uh, married into uh, teacher healthcare, which Mm -hmm. for years and years and years was some of the best healthcare in the country. Mm -hmm. Over the last five years, um, everything has changed. We are now paying, last year, well this calendar year, we probably paid about $4,700 in premiums with a $2,000 deductible. Hmm. So I have a family of three, and I just met with a healthcare um, consultant, and what he said for me to do was to put more money in my HSA account, which is the tax-free savings account, Right. choose the higher deductible for next year. What we're gonna do is we're gonna lower our premiums to about $1,000 a year we're going to put four or five thousand dollars onto the HSA tax-free. We can use that then for any medical bills we have. So we're we're going to save some money. The good thing is, is we're we're healthy. We don't have any pre-existing conditions. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, his recommendation was to do that. Use the H- HSA. Now the HSA rolls over. So if we don't get sick next year at all, we'll have four or $5,000 on that card that we then don't have to put in. So if we don't get sick next year, the following year, our health care cost will only be around $1,000.
1: Will be very low. Wow.
4: Yeah. And let me just say one more thing. Sure. On health care for all, mm-hmm. I don't think it'll ever get passed. I would love to see it happen because the health care industry is making too much money and it doesn't go to care. But health care for all who want it, now that may turn hmm. some tables down hmm. the road and we may see health care for or, or Medicare for all. Hmm. If uh, you know what I mean.
1: Sure. Daniel, I really I really appreciate the call and the the, the thoughtful comments and, and you sharing your story about dealing with escalating deductibles and, and premiums with employer-sponsored healthcare, Julie Rovner, I'll give you a, a chance to respond to what he's saying about the usefulness of an HSA account, for instance, and in taking care of some of these things that are going on in employer-sponsored uh, health insurance?
2: Well, the origins of the, the HSAs, which are now about 20 years old, are that um, people and presumably their employers would put money into these savings accounts that the, the caller is correct. They do roll over. They are tax-free. When you retire, actually, you can take the money out for not even medical expenses, and it's still tax-free. So it's a great tax shelter if you can afford it. But what we're seeing... And the the idea is that that would be coupled with high deductible health insurance because you would have the HSA to pay your deductible and your out-of-pocket costs. that's that was the theory the problem is now there's all these people with high deductible health insurance who don't have an HSA so then as I as I mentioned they you know they have a problem they, they go to the emergency room they get you know a fifteen thousand dollar bill of which they're responsible for five thousand dollars and they don't have five thousand dollars and they don't have an HSA so it's it's useful if you can afford it um, but most people can't afford it and most employers who are now offering higher deductible plans are not uh, putting any money into HSAs either. So basically, they're, you know, they're telling the, uh, the employees, you know, if, if you can save money in this HSA, do it, but otherwise, we're not going to help you.
1: Hmm. Let's go to Sharon in Southfield. Sharon, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi.
5: Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. I am the human resources person that Julie mentioned earlier during her uh, conversation with you. I am an employee benefits um, expert, and I've been doing this for about 25 years. I um, I support the Affordable Care Act because I believe it helps employees. Uh, employers don't like any type of oversight, so you know, of course, they there's always grumbling. Um, and the, I have always made it a point to explain to employees what the Affordable Care Act is doing for them, and um, meaning that you know they can have students on their or it, not dependents on their um, coverage through H. 26. Um, I also support Bernie's uh, Medicare for all plan, even though I joke that it's going to put me out of a job. Hmm. So I just thought I'd call and say, you know, I'm that HR person um, out there in the field um, handling this stuff every day.
1: So so can you give us some examples of the things that you think are better because of the ACA? Uh, Sharon, I'm, I'm curious, because of your up, up close view, if you can tell us what things or just working working better
5: yeah um, well we have prior to the ACA in 2010 we could put caps on the on the health services so for example um, you could have a 1 million dollar lifetime health care cap mm-hmm. or five million uh, with the Affordable Care Act that was removed we couldn't put that on an employer plan um, as I mentioned you could have a, a child on your plan now well now you can through age 26 uh, before, you had to have the child off your plan. Well, you didn't have to, but most employers did not cover children. Uh, you could have a student sometimes on your plan until age 25 or 23. Um, so that's a huge change. Um, we have the health care, uh, for example, wellness programs or um, uh, preventative services. All of that's covered. It's required to be covered at 100%. Um, that's the Affordable Care Act. Prior to that, you could most employers maybe covered some type of preventative services, but you would have a cap on the services. You can't have that with the Affordable Care Act. So again, the employer plan, and the employers are not you know thrilled about it because it's in, increasing costs. Um, but it does cover, you know we do cover more services for employees mm. because of the Affordable Care Act. Mm. But again,, I, Primarily, I support a Medicare for All plan because I do believe that that's the right way to go as a nation, um, even though, like I said, I joke that it puts me out of business, per se. But, um, <laughs> but I also, my one message that I do want to convey is, um, as an employer, let's say I pay $35 million a year in health care, why don't I pay $10 million additional in taxes and take $25 million and, and reinvest it into my, in my company? Hmm. That would make a lot more sense to me in terms of how I'm spending that money. And, again, as an employer, even though I'm spending that much money, I don't have any control over what the rates that are set by the prescription drug companies um, and really even hospitals and things like that. So oh, yeah. it's not like I have a lot of control over the cost that I'm absorbing as an employer. Right. Um, right. So.
1: Sharon, I, I really appreciate the call and your your really detailed account of how things look on the employer side of things. Julie Robner, I'll give you a chance to respond to what Sharon's talking about.
2: That there. was an, an A plus uh, explanation of the things <laughs> that the Affordable Care Act I mean the Affordable Care was was really Big and broad. And what it did was it made an awful lot of sort of smaller changes to a lot of things that add up to a lot. But so it's hard to, you know, you you have lists and lists and lists of the, the summary of some of the things. But there are a lot of things that the Affordable Care Act did that people are now sort of enjoying the benefits of and have no idea that that's where it came from. Hmm. Things like, I mean, rather prominently, uh, insurers can't uh, uh, discriminate based on people's pre-existing conditions anymore. And, you know, your kids who graduate from college and don't have a job yet can stay on your health insurance plan. For for an extra couple of years. That's been one of the most popular benefits in the entire law.
1: Mm. So uh, I I do want to get back to this discussion about possible changes and whether those changes might happen, and if they did, what kind of effect uh, they might have. Talk about some of the other health care proposals that are out there that are short of Medicare for all or or some other universal or single payer approach to health care.
2: Well, a lot of them would either build on the Medicare program or build on the Affordable Care Act or both. Um, uh, uh a former Vice President Biden's plan, for example, would make the uh uh subsidies much larger and they would go much higher up in on the income scale. Um there are also plans to let people buy into Medicare early. So if they're in their late fifties or perhaps early sixties, they could get on to, to the Medicare that we have today. Um those are those are sort of the, the, the big ideas. And there are plans to expand coverage um, but not necessarily to take over uh, with the federal government becoming the you know the major payer of health care in the way that uh, Medicare for all would do so there would, could also have a public option where there would be a Medicare type plan available on the exchange for people who buy their own insurance so they could choose between private plans and a public plan so there are a variety of ways to do this and the candidates all have variety of plans also to do it in addition to the the Medicare for all I think the Democratic Democrats are are pretty united, you know, saying we think everybody should have health insurance and everybody should be able to afford medical care. Where they differ is how they would get there and how fast.
1: And are there potential downsides to this direction? Are there things that we ought to be thinking about as as potential drawbacks to the idea of single payer or uh, Medicare, uh, Medicare for all type approaches to, to health care?
2: Well, there would be, I mean, a lot of these would be rather large and potentially disruptive changes. There are people who are satisfied with, you know, what they have today. I don't know how many, because pretty much everybody feels like they're paying too much. But people are afraid of change. And some of these changes would be bigger than other changes. And remember, we're talking about a fifth of the economy. So it's a lot of money to move around. And as I, as I mentioned, you know, we're seeing this in Congress with just trying to do something small around the edges on drug prices. The, the people who are making this money are going to, you know, fight tooth and nail to to keep the money that they're making now. So it's going to be a big political push in addition to, you know, what's already confusing for people. The, the idea is that, you know, if we were to get to Medicare for All, it would be simpler, but getting there might be awfully messy. Hmm.
1: Let's take another call here before we break. Brenda in Detroit. Welcome Good to morning. the show. morning, how are you? Hi, Brenda.
3: I was calling because I think Kill should be free in this country. we spend a lot of money in health care, and only thing they're really doing is pushing meds. Mm. I mean nothing is really being cured that I know of if it is, and I apologize, but I don't really see that they just push meds mm. and meds are not that expensive I don't think mm. um so I really think it should be free. I don't think that people should be getting these type of bills. Mm.
1: Brenda, I appreciate the call and the comments. Uh, uh, Julie, this idea of what happens to the money that we pay into the healthcare system is something that a couple of callers have, have brought up. They seem to, to, to not believe that it goes toward the things that will make people better, but just goes to to profits. How, how true is that?
2: Uh, it's, it's Both are true. I mean, some of it does just go to profits. We're seeing more and more sort of uh, hedge funds and other kinds of, you know, just uh, people people who are looking for companies that they can profit off of coming into healthcare. But we're also seeing healthcare, you know, money put into research and other types of, you know, of ways to to treat and or cure diseases. The caller, you know, was saying she doesn't know of things that have been cured. Well, only recently have we gotten a drug that actually cures hepatitis C. That was an Enormous uh, change for a lot of people. It's a very expensive drug, but it cures something that used to be a chronic and usually deadly disease. So there are breakthroughs, um, and you know there are obviously cancer drugs that we didn't have even five or ten years ago. Uh, ways to, to treat previously fatal diseases. So there, I mean, there are definitely drugs that are needed. Is the drug co- are the drug companies making more money than perhaps they need to invent the next round of drugs? That's what the debate's about. Mm.
1: Okay, Julie Ravner, Chief Washington Correspondent for Kaiser Health News. It is always great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks for coming by.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: All right, up next, we're going to talk with another healthcare expert, one who is a little closer to home, Charles Gaba, who is the creator of ACASignups.net. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. 313 577 1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. We're talking this hour about open enrollment that has been happening since November 1st and will continue until December 15th, the time during which millions of Americans are trying to make decisions about their health care plans and their needs the coming year. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us what this period means to you. Are you making choices about your health care for next year? Do you have employer-sponsored health care and have things that you want to change? Or are you on the ACA marketplace trying to select plans that you think will keep you and your family covered? Uh, What are your questions about those plans, about health care in this country? And what would you like to see Done? Do you think that we are where we should be with healthcare in this country after the ACA? Or do you think we still need? Very dramatic reforms to the healthcare system, something that nearly all of the Democratic candidates for president say they would want to pursue if they were elected next year. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page. And put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. I also want to welcome another voice to this conversation. Now, Charles Gaba is the founder of ACA signups.net, which has been live tracking Obamacare enrollments since the exchanges launched in October of 2013. Charles Gaba, welcome to Detroit Today.
0: Uh, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, so you've been tracking this system since it first launched. What have you noticed about the functionality of the system, and what are its weak spots?
0: <laughs> uh, thanks. Well, uh, yeah, it's definitely been a bit of a roller coaster ride, uh, especially the first few years. Everyone um, remembers there was were some major technical problems when the uh, you know the website healthcare.gov launched and some of the state exchange sites. Uh, but since, then, and then of course, there was a lot of policy and legal changes along the way. But over the last uh, year or so, it, uh, things seem to have mostly settled down um, in terms of uh, technically the websites are you know, running smoothly, the process has been streamlined, um, and uh, you know I think in terms of uh, rockiness. Um, more Most of the issues recently have been legal and, and um, regulatory changes, of course. Uh, most notably last year was the... Um, the zeroing out of the uh, ACA's individual mandate in most states, um, but there have been also also been other other changes along the way.
1: So. Mm-hmm. Uh, overall, are we moving in the right direction with this? Uh, what kinds of things do you think Michiganders who are shopping for coverage need to be aware of as as we move forward in this process?
0: Well, I mean, I'm, I'm a, a strong proponent of Uh, moving forward in terms of building on the ACA, uh, you know, in terms of future policy. Um, As for this year and this open enrollment period for Michigan specifically, um, and and a lot of this relates regardless of which state you live in, but I I basically have seven major things that I'm I'm asking people to uh, keep a lookout for uh, during open enrollment. Um, And uh, the first, of course, the deadline is, uh, you have until December 15th um, uh, to get covered. Uh, unless you have some sort of a, uh, um, a special life change, there there is a list of of, of uh, qualifying life changes uh, that allow you to enroll, you know, during the off season, uh, like if you get married or divorced or have a child, that sort of thing, or if you lose your existing coverage. But for the most part, uh, December fifteenth is the deadline. Um, I would strongly advise that people enroll through Healthcare.gov um, because you have to look out for. There's a lot of scams. A lot of uh, you know, sort of shady outfits that offer um, that come up high on the Google listings if you, you know, run a Google search, but it turns out that they're not actually selling actual ACA compliant policies. So I would definitely stick with health, healthcare.gov, uh if you're a resident of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, I would um, I would advise people to say... If you checked in previous years, if you went to healthcare.gov and you looked around and it told you that you didn't qualify for financial assistance in previous years, I would check again this year because things, uh, formula changes, and there's a lot of things that change from year to year. So you may qualify this year, even if you didn't last year. Uh, that's something I always tell people each and every year. So even if your income didn't change, household situation you know, is exactly the same, um, you may possibly qualify this year, even if you didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's important. Um, well, to definitely shop around, um, there's uh, some interesting things that have happened with pricing of the policies. Uh, it gets very wonky and complicated, but the bottom line is there are some cases where you can get a gold policy that is a, a policy that covers 80% of your, um, of your medical expenses and has a lower deductible. There are some cases where you can actually get that for less or similar uh, the, the same price or even less in some cases than a silver policy if you're subsidized that is your subsidies may actually make it cheaper to get a gold plan than a, than a silver plan
4: mm-hmm.
0: um, or possibly a a bronze plan for almost nothing in some cases um so i would I would look for that um and the main thing is shop around do not allow your be passively auto renewed that is If you are a current enrollee through an ACA exchange policy and you take no action whatsoever, then in most cases, you'll be automatically re-enrolled for another year to your existing plan. In some cases, that may be fine, but I would strongly advise people to go in, actively shop around and make sure that there's not a better value um, for 2020 because, again, there's a lot of from year to year. Yeah. Uh
1: again, 1019 is the number on the phone. So let's go to Glenn in Gross Point Woods. Glenn, welcome to the show. Hey
6: Hey Steven. thanks a lot for having me. Um, and uh, well this question probably would have been more directed at your last uh, guest, uh, Julie Rob uh, I think Robner. Uh-huh. Or, uh, with, um, but my question comment was, and your guest now might still so be able to answer it, is why in the in the US we can we constantly look at our current system, or we look at the Medicare for all slash single payer slash Canada model, when a lot of the leading economies in the world use have universal coverage but don't have a single payer. That means Germany, Switzerland, Japan, um, France, and they all have hundreds if not thousands of slash insurers slash sickness plans like we do with employer-sponsored care. To me, it would seem that a transition to something like that, hmm. and a lot. And I'll, I guess I should point out most in those countries, the insurers or sickness plans are not for profit, but they still compete. So why can't we get that into the conversation here in the U.S.? Is it hmm. just too complicated for us to understand?
1: It's an interesting question, Glenn, and, and I think it's worth pointing out that those countries do achieve universal coverage with these systems that stop shy of the single-payer or Medicare for all uh, uh, template. Um, Charles Gaber, I wonder if you can address that, the, the, the difference between what we're doing, what they are doing in Canada, and what they are doing in some other Western democracies where there is kind of a mix between the two and why we don't really have a robust conversation about all of those. It seems that we're looking at the polls and not at the middle.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I'm actually very glad <laughs> that he brought that up because uh, this is something that I've been uh, kind of shouting about for, for years now. That, yeah, there are there are a wide variety of uh, different systems. You know, there are some there are a few that are you know, kind of what you call a a pure single payer model, um, which is what, you know, obviously Bernie Sanders and was born are pushing. But, yeah, there are dozens of different sort uh, you know, hybrid models. Um, Switzerland, for example, uh, their entire system is uh, sort of along the lines of the ACA's individual market, except that it's for the entire country, um, and, and, and it's much more robust. That is, uh, the subsidies are you know are more generous, the penalties are far more dr- more draconian, but also the insurers are much more tightly regulated um, in terms of you know, basically being non-profit. Basically. Um, And then there's the high. Uh, you mentioned Germany. uh, Germany is, uh, I believe, is mostly a an employer you know based model. But so yes, there's there's a lot of different systems, and there's very very few that actually are pure. In the U.S., the part of the problem is that is that we actually do have single payer for some people, you know, in the form of um, you know occur in Medicare, mm-hmm. although it's not pure single payer because there are still deductibles and co pays and so forth, um, but the bulk of it is you know, paid by federal government. We've also got, you know, we have Medicare, we have Medicaid, we have the employer uh, you know, sponsored plans which cover about half the country, we have the individual market through the ACA. Uh, there's a, we have basically a mishmash. It's not that we have one bad system, it's about 20 different systems and some are better than others. It's, it's kind of uh, odd. And
1: so you could have Charles, I think uh, we're losing your connection there. Of course, Charles was going to be in studio today, but the snow kept him from uh, the studio and we've got him on uh, on his cell. Uh, which, of course, is always subject to perhaps uh, us losing uh, connection. But Charles, uh, I really do appreciate you having been with us here on Detroit Today uh, and helping to answer questions about healthcare with our listeners. We are uh, out out of time in any case, and uh, I will be back tomorrow, and I hope you will too. We're going to preview the public impeachment inquiry hearings with Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, and we're going to talk with University of Michigan School of Education Dean Elizabeth Moji about the state of Michigan schools in 2019 and that new school that they are deeply involved in over at Mary Grove College. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk more tomorrow.